last week we spoke about um, prayer. And I had you, um, remember that little illustration, that little thing that we did at the beginning about take 15 seconds and write down five or six words that describe your concept of prayer? Remember we did that? How many did that? Okay. Maybe you thought I forgot, but we didn't forget. I want to go back to that today, and I want to just look at that, because that's our concept of prayer. We think in, we think in pictures. We don't think necessarily in words. We think in pictures. When we think about things, when we think about prayer, there's a picture in our mind back there in the back of our minds. We think of, uh, I thought, my, my picture, word picture was the old man sitting at a beat-up old table with, uh, uh, with apples and bread. And he had his hands folded and he was praying. And that was the first picture that came to my mind of prayer. I don't know why, but that was just a picture. And our concept and our understanding of prayer impacts everything that we do, doesn't it? What we consider prayer to be is going to impact everything in our lives. And so it is so important that we have a spiritual revelation through the Holy Spirit about what is prayer. Um, and I want us to look at Second Kings this morning. We're going to look at a couple, a couple of scriptures, Second Kings chapter thirteen. And I want to just read a quote to you first of all before we start. As you're turning to Second Kings chapter thirteen, John Wesley said this. He said, "God does nothing except in answer to prayer." Now think about that for a second. God does nothing except in answer to prayer. That's really a pretty profound statement. Because whatever God does is an answer to somebody's prayer. You are here in this room. We are here in this business park, in this part of spring because of prayer. God's answering prayer. Uh, we live in Houston in spring because someone prayed. Uh, you are here. God is working in your life because of the answer to prayer. And I just want to talk about answered prayer this morning. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 15. And there's a story here. We read about Elisha. Now, remember who Elisha was? Elisha was Elijah's disciple, right? Remember Elisha's prayer? Elisha's prayer was, Lord, give me double. Give me a double portion. We don't read a lot about Elisha. We don't hear a lot of messages necessarily about Elisha. But Elisha's an amazing guy. And even when he was dead... Someone rose from the dead. It was just amazing. That's later on. But Elisha's a man of God here, and he really understood prayer. And he is at the end of his life. And in verse, uh, verse 14, we'll start there. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, and this is the ESV, the English Standard Version, Joash, the king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying. And so Elisha's about to die. He's on his deathbed. And the king of Israel, Joash, comes down, and he is weeping, and he says, My father, my father. And I love that, because here's a king who understood spiritual authority. He understood who the man of God was in his life. I think every, every world leader, every city councilman, every uh, political leader of any kind in this world should have a man of God in their life. They need an Elisha. They need a spiritual father. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. What does that mean? I want to go through this text and just take it apart and break it down for us today. Why did Joash say uh, the chariot of, chariot of Israel and its horsemen? What, do, what does that say to you this morning? 
Because Joash, the king, looks at Elisha and sees him as the power and the strength of Israel. It wasn't Joash's armies. It wasn't Joash's economy. It wasn't Joash's whatever he had. But it was the man of God in the midst. It was the man of God that was in Israel. I wonder today, I, there's, a, there's a great man that I know. His name is Ralph Drullinger. Uh, he was in NBA basketball for a while. He, I don't remember who he played. He was, he's from California. And he, he, this week, this month, this term, this, this presidency, is doing Bible studies in the White House. And, he, and, he, and he's meeting with the staff, the, the president's staff. I don't know who goes there. I wonder if our president goes to those. But God puts a man of God in the White House. There's a man of God there. And he is a man of the word. He, he studies and he, and he preaches. I've heard him. I've met with him. My wife and I had coffee with him and his wife. He's just a great man. Loves the word. And God, he never, he never even imagined that he would be there. When we, when we met him, um, when we were doing work in Trenton, New Jersey for a while, he never, I, if I had sat down and asked him, do you think you'll be in the White House next term? He, he would have never imagined that. And he's there. He was on... He was on the news recently. God always has an Elisha for the king. And so he's saying, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen. This man was a prophet and he was a man. What was he? He was a man of the word. Elisha was a man of the word, but he was also a man of prayer. What is the power today in Israel? What is the power in our nation? What is the power in our family today? What is the power in our marriages? What's the power in our single life? It is... The chariot of Israel and its horsemen, it is prayer. It is a man of God, a man of the word. And Elisha said to him, and I like this, Elisha is now going to instruct the king, take a bow and arrows. I thought of Wesley this morning when I was this week when I was reading this. Take a bow and arrows. And so he took a bow and arrows. And verse 16, then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. How many of you have ever shot a bow and arrow? tension when you're pulling, right? Wes, don't you get the tension? You got to get the tension right. It's got to be perfect. The way you hold the bow is everything. And he takes the bow and he said to the king, draw the bow and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands and he said, open the window eastward. There's so much symbolism here and there's so much that speaks to me here. Uh, I read this uh, often, this portion of scripture and I think about this Elisha is a type of Jesus Christ here. Uh, this is a man who is putting his hand on the king's hand as he grasps the bow, and he's pulling it. He's putting his hands, probably standing somewhat a little bit behind the king, and he's coaching him. And the king knows how to shoot a bow and arrow. I'm sure he does. This is not the first time he's ever done this. But the king has his hand on the, on the bow and on the string, or whatever you call that. What do you call it? The string. And he's holding it, and there is that, and that tension starts. Jesus Christ tells us to take a bow, and he tells us to take an arrow. What is the bow in the Christian's life? I really believe, because the bow, for you and I today, is really that passion, uh, that, that thing in our life, or those things in our lives that propel prayer that holy discontentment or that 
that um, pressure in our life that causes the tension that actually is going to be projecting prayer. God takes, tells us to take that. Take your bow. What is your bow today? Let me just ask you that question this morning. What is your bow? What are your bows? What are happening in your life? What are those things that, that actually are there, but, they, but, but it's empty? It's not complete because there's no arrow in it. And when you put an arrow in it, and you begin to draw that bow, there's that holy tension. There is that healthy stress. You know, you heard the band up here playing, and you know, every one of these guys had to have their instrument perfectly tuned, right? I mean, if you're not perfectly tuned, then you're just going to throw the whole band off, and everybody's going to be thrown off, and, and this is a great band. It sounded so great this morning. It's the same thing with a bow. A bow has to have the right tension, doesn't it, Wes? It has to have the right tension. If it doesn't have the right tension, then it's not going to shoot right. There is a healthy tension in our life, isn't it? A guitar has to have proper tension. There are so many things in our life that are, if it's not properly stressed, then it's going to give not, it's not going to give a good sound. It's not going to work properly. There's unhealthy tension in our life, and then there's healthy tension in our life. This tension that here is, that Elisha is, is alluding to, to the king, of, the king of Israel, Joash, he's saying, put your bow in there and open the window eastward. What is this arrow? I think this arrow is prayer. I think just the arrow. Because what is an arrow? It's penetrating. I shot a, a crossbow a few months ago. I want one. <laughs> I want a crossbow. And I was out there. And it was just amazing. I was at a, Wesley and I were looking at a, we were at one place and he was applying for a job there. And this guy saw me looking at the bows, one of the workers there, and he, one of the employees, I should say employee. And he says, hey, you want to try it out? I go, sure. So he takes me out back. And there's about 25, 30, 40 yards long thing, and he's and he's just he's, he shows me how to how to load it up, pull it pull it up, and you know, and the ten, and I was holding it, you could feel it was so light, but the tension was just it was unbelievable. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, if you just touch the wrong thing, that thing was just going to fly. And so he puts the arrow into the into the into the crossbow, and I shoot, and there was very little re. re Repercussion. There was little recoil, very little recoil. And I liked that. I just thought that's such a comfortable thing to shoot. That arrow went and it just penetrated what it penetrated the target. That's prayer. God gives us arrows. And these arrows are penetrating. But what 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 is the factor in penetrating prayer that we see here? It's the tension in the bow, right? The tension's gotta be right. If it's too much, the bow breaks. And, the, and it's, it's ineffective. It's too little, then the, and then it doesn't make the target. What I don't want to say here this morning is, is that prayer is based on how much energy that we have. But I do want to say this in reference to what we said last week. In prayer, if I have a plan B, then that bow is not going to shoot. If I'm praying and saying, God, I'm asking you to do this in my life, but, hey, if you don't do this, I secretly have a plan B over here that I'd really prefer to do if this doesn't work out. For me to do this, then, then, then I'll just do this. How many of us have prayed prayers like that? I have. Secret plan B. This here, this tension, this tension is the propelling force in prayer. God creates stress. Well, let's say God creates situations and circumstances in our life. And that puts pressure on us, doesn't it? 
pressure in relationships, pressure with our kids, pressure with our jobs, pressure with the need for the gospel in the community. When I, when I go, when I drive, and I'm so convicted, and I've just been, I just started doing this as the Lord leads. When I drive home, I'm just getting, reaching, I'm just meeting my neighbors. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, to lay them out first meeting. I just want to get to know them and develop a relationship because there's a tension there. I can feel the tension of a spiritual need. Can you feel the tension of the spiritual need in your neighborhood? I think you can. You know, I think you can. That tension, that pressure needs to translate into prayer. Otherwise, it's going to be anger. It's going to be sublimation. Sublimation is whatever I do to substitute the filling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Word in my life. That means I just go out, whatever. I just go and eat, or I go and, and, and gamble, or I go out and take drugs, or whatever I do, drink, or whatever somebody may do to fill that void. But that tension, that tension in our life that's created by circumstances is allowed by God so that we can translate it into prayer. Okay, that's a big point here I'm making this morning. The circumstances in our life produce tension. And this tension is so that we can shoot the arrow of prayer. Let's move to the next part here. Elisha says to the king, and remember, Elisha's still got his hand on the king's hand. Now, the king is a warrior. It's not the first time he's, he's shot a bow, an arrow. But the king is trying to, uh, Elisha's trying to show the king something. Elisha, who's a symbol of Jesus Christ, is trying to show the king. And the king here speaks of you and I. We are kings and priests in this world, aren't we? We are rulers. Adam and Eve were, were called, before they sinned, they were rulers of the world. They were rulers in their in the nature. Uh, we are called in Christ to be ruling in our life in, Ro- in Romans chapter 5 in the gift of grace. And so the king here is, he says to the king, open the window. So the king opened the window eastward. What does that mean? What does that mean? Eastward always speaks in the Bible of pointing in the direction of resurrection. Christ returns in the east, doesn't he, in the last day. When the second coming, he'll be coming in the east. When he, re, when he reformats and recreates the whole world for the millennium, he does it from the east. The east speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The east, the window, speaks of uh, the perspective, and it speaks of direction. What is he saying here? The arrow speaks of prayer, and the window speaks of expectation. Expectation. Jesus Christ identifies with us, and he taught us how to pray. He took our hands, Right? And he put him on the bow. And he said, take hold of your tension. Take hold of your circumstance. Take hold of that stress that's causing tension. And then take your other hand. And instead of reacting in, in fear and anger and frustration, which I can do so easily, put an arrow in there. And I get the proper tension. When that proper tension's right, open the window in expectation. I just want to say this at this conference that we were at. One of the main themes that we covered was this. Is that Satan wants you and I to, secret believe, to secretly believe that God is not good. That was, the main, that was the first temptation that God is not gracious. That was the first temptation that the devil came at Adam and Eve with. He came at Eve with this. And he, this is what he does with women. He will project at women. The devil will project at women. Arrows, not arrows of prayer, but arrows of projections that are thoughts that he creates and sends to the atmosphere in Ephesians 2.2 to the mind of a woman to say, God is not good in your life. God is not good in your life. He's hiding something from you. Now look at the scene in Genesis chapter 2. Here's the thing. Adam and Eve are in this incredible utopia, right, that God has created. And man will never create a utopia, no matter what they say politically. 
God creates this incredible utopia. And he says, of all the trees you may eat, and all the herbs and all the, uh, all the roots and the fruits you can eat. And the picture there in Hebrew is that there were millions and millions and millions and millions of trees and fruits. And every day they could have eaten another fruit that they've never ever tasted before. And there was just one thing that she could not eat, and they could not eat, and that was that that was the, the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And someday we'll talk about that tree. That's an amazing picture there. Here's what the devil does. God has provided so much for you and I in our life. He has been so good to us. And we look at, we, we look at the incredible, multi, the abundant grace of God in our life. I keep swinging my hands. I'm going to knock something over here. We keep... Uh, God looks, God gives us all of this incredible, incredible blessing in our life. And the devil always wants to single it down to that one little thing that you can't do, right? That's legalism. That's the devil. That's like, the devil's going to always say to you, this is what you can't do. And so what happens? Eve and then Adam, they, they, get, they lose their macro vision of the grace of God and they get focused in that one thing that they don't got, that they don't have. And this is the thing about prayer, is that prayer, open the window and expect. Look to the east in expectations. You know, when we believe, when we truly believe, and the name of our church is Ever Grace, but do we really believe in grace? Do I really believe in grace? I ask myself that many times. You know, I, I'm from Greater Grace. That's my church back home. Ephesians, James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 means that God gives grace, in the, in the, in the, in the Greek, greater grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Because in Greater Grace, our church, we have lots of sinners and we need lots of grace. That's why we call it Greater Grace. And um, the devil wants to say, but this one thing you can't do. You can't do this one thing. If we are persuaded of the grace of God, guess what happens? We're persuaded of the finished work in our life. Like was said earlier, when we, when we consider the running father to the prodigal, who interrupts the prodigal's prayer of repentance, if you look at that... In the Greek, it's like the, the prodigal start to tell his, you know, he's got this whole prepared statement, you know, he's <clears throat> repenting, and then the, the father just interrupts him and just says, you're here, and I love it. We take one step to God, towards God, and he just comes running. He comes running out of heaven towards us. And guess what happens? When we get persuaded of the goodness and the graces of, grace of God, guess what happens in Romans chapter 2? We forsake sin. Because sin is just a scam. You know that sin is a scam? It's the greatest scam of the universe. Sin robs us of what we have in Jesus Christ. It robs us from the plan of God. It robs us from our joy. Sin robs us from our peace. And it makes something out of us that we were not created to be. Sin is destructive and it's the biggest scam. If you've ever failed in your life in some great way, you get out of that, you walk out of it, and you look back and you say, what a scam that was. What a scam. That was such a scam in my life. You ever get, and I'm going to, this is not the time to talk about it. That's when anger comes in. It's like when you're so angry at that. And it's not just guilty anger or regret, because regret's self-centered. But it's just this anger about it. It's like, I'm so angry about that, because it's such a scam. And I was so scammed, I was so fooled. But you know something the devil says, God's not good. But when we're persuaded of the grace of God, guess what happens? The window gets open, and we start looking east. Jesus Christ. Expectation arrives in our life. When you lack motivation in your life, don't look at, don't start looking at the things you can't be doing. 
start looking at the amazing opportunity that the grace of God has given us. Look at this amazing area. We were, uh, was it last Saturday we did this or the Saturday before? We, we just went to a couple neighborhoods and we walked around and we just prayed. Just prayed over people's houses. I think I, was, I don't know when we did this. It seems like a month has gone by since, since last week. We walked around. We just thought, look at the opportunity here to reach people. This is so incredible. There's a neighborhood over here that Eduardo tells me about. It's just all Spanish-speaking. I mean, we are in such an awesome location. Look at the opportunity. And guess what happens? The window opens up. And I want to get moving here because the window gets opened up, and, and he points eastward, and he opened. And then Elisha said in verse 17, shoot, and he shot. And as he's shooting, right, I look at it like this. Elisha tells Joash to shoot, but... Elisha, I think, is still holding the bow and still holding the, the string. I don't know how that looks, maybe lightly, maybe just guiding the hands. But he's telling, he's telling Joash to shoot. Jesus is telling us, grab the bow, the tension, that situation, put a prayer in it, and then just launch in expectation towards God. And it says here, it says, this is the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. That's Syria. We could. That's that's something that we can plug in. Whatever's going on in our life, just <clears throat> Syria, kids, job, lack of employment, health, situation, finances, whatever you want to put it. Um, a prayer request that I'm expecting from God. Maybe it's an area of defeat in your life that's continual defeat. Plug in that word Syria. Syria with, with whatever is going on in your life. One arrow, one prayer, is an arrow of victory over Syria. And, and Elisha here um, defines what this arrow, what prayer is. And then he says this, he says, shoots, and he shot, and the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. In verse 18, and he said, take the arrows, okay? So he, so he lays down the precedent. He says, this is prayer. This is what's happening. I'm guiding you. This is what you can do shoot the arrow, pray in expectation, believe God. And I just want to challenge us this morning here. What are we, what do we believe in God for in our life? What is our Syria? What is our, what is that thing that we are asking God for? Have we defined it? I remember in Ukraine, my wife and I had just moved there and we had, we were newly married, married not even a month and we're on the mission field. That was fun. And she got a prayer journal, and she started writing down prayer requests, the date, the time, and the request. And I didn't even know about it at first. She would just write things down. Needs would come up. We had so little. It was unbelievable. She would write things down, and that book started to fill up. We, started, we would pray together. And then you know what happens? Little by little, answers started to come. And then she would write in the end. And when the answers started coming, she said, hey, honey, come over here. And she showed me the book. She showed me this little book that she had that she was writing down requests, and I could start seeing the request, the time when the request was asked, and then the time the request was fulfilled by God. I think that we need to define those things that we're asking God for. What are we asking God for? What is it that God is, what is the tension? Syria is on the horizon, causing stress and tension in, in Joash's life. What's his request? And so... What happens here is, is that he takes the arrows and he says, take the arrows in verse 18. And he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. Basically, he's saying, take the arrows and just start shooting into the ground, right? Probably not the 
most wise thing to do, but he just starts shooting into the ground. And so in, in Joash's mind already, he understands that these arrows are prayer, and it's prayer of victory, and it's a prayer of faith. He starts shooting into the ground, and, he's, and he, does, he strikes three times, and then he stops in verse 19. All right? Shoots three times into the ground, and he stops. And the man of God, Elisha, in verse 19 says, he was angry with him, and he said, you should have struck five or six times, then you would have struck down Syria until you have made an end of it. But now you shall strike down Syria only three times. Isn't this puzzling? You know what this means? You know what this is saying here? This speaks so much to me. It speaks so many volumes to me. Is that Joash was a godly man. He understood uh, who the man of God was. He understood Jesus Christ, Elisha. He understood who he was. But none of his descendants or any of his kids that ruled really served, that uh, ruled with a heart after God. Joash was a man that did that was only half-hearted because I don't know if he really believed that God was good. I don't know if he really believed that God answers prayer. I don't know if Joash really had a passion from God. I don't know if Joash had this burden from the Lord. I think that when we spend time with Elisha, when we spend time with Jesus Christ in the school of prayer, we begin to have burdened on our heart the mind of God about things, about the mind of God for our kids. We get burdened. We get the mind of God about our marriage. We get the mind of God about our businesses. We get God's mind about what we're doing at work and in our single life or our married life. And so he shoots only three times and then he stops. The man of God is angry. Why is he angry? Because God had a plan. God had a desire to wipe out the Syrians. And guess what? Where are the Syrians today? <laughs> Still there. I wonder, as I read that, I wonder what if, I wonder if he had shot maybe two or three more times if the Syrians would still be on the map today. I just want to, I, I want to challenge us today. When the Bible says in Matthew 7, ask, seek, and knock, it's in the present tense. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an imperative in the Greek, and it's an iterative, which means this. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Matthew chapter 7 says this, is that when you ask, asking is simple prayer. Lord, I'm just asking you that you would just do this. And it's just kind of a simple, I have a need and I have this situation, Lord. I just, I'm asking you to do this. And in, in the present tense, imperative. Imperative means a command. You've got to do this. Let's keep asking. Let's keep asking. And don't stop asking. Keep asking. The second is seeking. Seeking is when is more of a more intense of a. Uh, and I'm just kind of going through this quickly because of time. Maybe next week we can finish this up with this. Seeking is when I don't know God's mind about something, and I'm looking for God's mind. How often do we just start seeking, and then we just stop? God says, if you had just kept seeking, you would have had the whole picture. And then knocking. Knocking is when you're, when you're knocking on a door. You don't know what's on the other side of the door. You don't know what's happening on the other side of that door. You don't know who's necessarily on the other side of the door. Sometimes there are closed doors in our neighborhoods, in our areas, in our lives, in our personal lives. Maybe there are closed doors in our business. Maybe we don't see doors opening. And God says, knock on those doors. Knock on those doors. Because there's a window that's open pointing eastward. And we know who God is. We know how gracious he is. I feel like I'm such on a, we're on such a mission here. 
Let's knock on a door. Door seems to be closed. Somebody could say, well, that God closed that door. How many times have we prayed and the door closes? And we're like, okay, well, that must not have been God's will. And we just walk away. God's like, where is, where is your faith? Where is your expectation? Where is your passion? Where is that holy tension in your life where we see, no, this has got to be different. I'm not satisfied with this situation. I know that God's on the other side of that door and he wants to see something happen. Several weeks ago, and it just came to my mind recently, a few weeks ago, we were in the neighborhood right over here. We were knocking on doors, just meeting the neighbors, asking them, if we were to pray for something, what could we pray for for you? One woman said to us, and I think I said this before, she said, my son's got an enlarged heart. I'm on the way to the hospital. It was me, Eduardo, Kim, and I think Wes was there. And I said, okay. And she, had, she, was, she was intoxicated and somewhat, and, and, uh, and we just prayed. We prayed over her son. And, and uh, we shared the gospel a little bit, and then they left. A few weeks later, we were back in that neighborhood praying again. I said, hey, let's just stop knocking on the door and see what's happening with that woman. She comes out with her son. It turns out to be her 13th birth- his 13th birthday that day. And I said, how's, how's the heart? And she goes, we went to the doctor, and the doctor said, there's nothing wrong. The heart's perfect. And she just said, I was like, oh, that's great. And then I walked away. I was like, wait a minute, was that a miracle? <laughs> Did God just do something there? And God had moved. And I think sometimes, I'm so challenged, and I'm just preaching to myself this morning. What are my expectations? What are our expectations? Lord, we can't manufacture expectations. That's why we just have to listen to Elisha. We have to listen to Jesus Christ. God, what do you want to do here? What do you want to do in people's lives? What do you want to do in my family? God, what do you want to do in my marriage? We don't want to look at it like, this is what should happen, or this is what's not happening. We just want to get drawn near to God and hear from God and say, God, what do you want to do? in these people's lives. What do you want to do? I heard a story, I want to close with this, of a little, a little boy who was valiantly but futilely trying to remove a huge heavy log to clear a pathway to his favorite hideout. He and his dad were out in the woods and he wanted to show his dad his hideout. And his dad stood nearby and finally asked him why he wasn't using all his strength. He said, son, why are you not using all your strength? And the son turned around and he assured his dad that he was straining with all his might. His dad quietly told him that he was not using all his strength. And said, son, of course I am. Why, why do you say that? And he said, because you're not asking me for help. And that's our strength today, isn't it? When we see Elisha grab, the, grab a hold of our bow, when we see Jesus Christ lead us into prayer, and he, makes that, he pulls that tension and he begins to speak to us, and he begins to lead us, and he begins to shoot. He begins to pray through us. He begins to, he begins to lead us. I just think that in the, in, the, in the next few months, I'm just really excited about what, what God is doing. God is, the answer, God is starting to answer our prayers here. Um, I got a, Sean and I, Neil got an email from the property owner here. And we've been, remember how we've been talking about B500 over there, that, that, that unit over there that's opened up? Well, the lady next door here, some of you have already heard this, has a fitness training, and I guess she's leaving. And that opens up this whole unit over there. And he, he emailed us, and he said, are you guys interested? And it's exactly like this, but flipped, maybe even larger. And so this is going to be an answer to prayer for us if this works out. We can blow out that wall, and we can just put in like 125 chairs in here. Uh, we, can, we can have uh, six classrooms uh, two bathrooms and a bigger fellowship area. This is this is this is awesome. 
I think when Hurricane Harvey came, it was discouraging to see all the work that we put in this place. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, like, you know, what we have now. That was really discouraging. That was a real sock in the stomach for me. But you know something? We prayed together. We asked the Lord. And the Lord is starting to answer. Let's not give up. Whatever you're praying for in your life. Are you praying for a husband or a wife? Are you praying for your marriage? Are you praying for your kids? Are you praying for a situation with your business? Are you praying for something? I just want to say, ask and keep on asking, Matthew 7, 7. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Because you know something? Let's not get discouraged when doors closed. Because you know something? We know God, his mind, and we know what God wants to do on the other side of that door. We say, God, I am not satisfied until you open that door, because I know this is your will. And that's, that is stubborn faith. And that's the kind of faith that God loves. When we think that way, then we can begin to see the kingdom of God move into people's lives. We begin to see the kingdom of God move into people. When someone rejects the gospel, we say, oh, that's, that person's closed. No, let's keep asking God and seeking God and, and knocking on doors. Why? Because God is ready and willing to move. And he's looking for a heart and hearts that are perfect, that seek him out. Because he wants to work on their behalf. And let's be a church like that, amen? Let's be people like that. Let's, whatever we do here, let's just make the gospel the end result. Let's make it all about reaching people. I, I saw a Facebook video that Amina posted yesterday on Facebook, and I saw, the, the band, I saw these guys playing, and I thought, man, you know, I was listening to you. I was driving to Jersey, and I was listening to you guys play, and I thought, man, you know, this is, we, got such, we have so many great, got such great talent here. Maybe we could have it sometime like a like a, a concert, just a big event around Christmas time or something. I'm just thinking out loud. We can tweak the ideas, but we could have a concert and we could just invite people to come and hear the gospel, you know, and just have a, a blessing for kids and have a kids program and just do something awesome. We did stuff like this in Philly. I mean, let's ask God for great things because He wants to do great things in people's lives. Amen. And don't don't condemn yourself if you don't have faith. Look at God. Open the east window to the east, we east, look at who God is, look how great he is, and don't get, let's not get slammed that God, that God is not good, let's not get deceived that God is not good, let's just grow in grace, as Peter said, and let's look towards God, because he is ready and willing to do great things, I'm going to close with this quote, prayer is more powerful than habits, hereditary and natural tendencies, Prayer can overcome all these. It is more powerful than the forces that hold the planets in place. Prayer, though it comes from the heart of an unlearned child of God, prayer can suspend the laws of the universe, if such be God's will, just as the sun stood still when Joshua prayed. There is no other power on earth that the enemy of souls hates and fears as he does prayer. Isn't that amazing? We are told that Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint on his knees. I think Leonard Ravenhill said this, that the devil laughs at the church's programs, chuckles at the church's efforts, but fears when the church is on its knees. Amen? Let's be a praying church. Let's ask the Lord to give us a spirit of prayer here. Uh, let's, let's seek the Lord for things. So let's, if you know of somebody's need here, Let's just be in prayer and say, Lord, I'm asking you for more. I'm asking you like Elisha did. I'm asking for a double portion here because people need it. Amen.
Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you. Lord, we look to you, God, not to ourselves. We don't look to our situation, Lord. And those situations that seem to cause pressure in our life can actually be a catalyst for passion of prayer. Can actually be can actually be that which propels prayer in our life. And Lord Jesus taught us how to pray. When he when he took the bow and the string. Where we don't want to just shoot three times, but we want to keep shooting and keep shooting and keep shooting. All of our lives just keep shooting and keep shooting and not give up. Because God has a plan to take out the Syrians. God has a plan to stop the devil from working in places in spring, in our neighborhoods, in our families, where we want to just keep shooting. We don't want to give up. We don't want to get discouraged. Because when we see how good God is, when we see how powerful God and how mighty God is, then our expectations can grow. We just want to pray for each person here today. And you know what's happening in people's lives Folks that are not here today, maybe. Lord, just thank you, God, for the great thing that you did with my dad's, my father-in-law's um, heart operation, Lord. That's such an incredible story. Father, we thank you for answered prayer. Lord, we just want to commit to you anything that's on our heart that's troubling us. You're the great shepherd. Let's do that this morning. If there's anything, let's stand together for a moment stand. If there's anything that's on your heart that you want to just present to the Lord, maybe a prayer request, maybe something you're seeking God for. Maybe it's knocking on a door that you know that should be open, but it's closed right now. And you just know it's God's will. Let's keep on seeking. Let's keep on asking. Take the person that's next to you and or in front of you and just say a prayer with them. Ask them, what can I pray for you for? How can I pray for you this week? Let's just pray. Take a couple minutes and do.